has begun. Big Trouble, Small Soldiers. Medium-sized slashes podcast. Bwee, bwee, bwee. A podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and with me, remarkably frequently, is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, a former intern, and now my best friend. Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Chad. Jim Turn. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. Old habits die hard. You're like a tried and true veteran of this show now. You are a co-host. You are not an intern, and you still were kind enough to bring me coffee. Moved me to the point of tears. (laughs) Thank you, sir. You're welcome. I was sobbing. Five episodes in a row. Pretty good. I realized that you weren't on the Krampus. Oh, yeah. But it's not really an episode. It's a commentary track. Hate to burst your bubble. But we're starting a new series. You're going to be on a new undefeated streak. You're going to go on forever. It's like George St. Pierre. He gets knocked out by Matt Sarah and then goes undefeated for the rest of it. Perfect. Yeah. I love GSP. I am not impressed by your performance. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish you would have said that to Captain America and the Winter Soldier. That would have made it the best movie ever. Not just the best Marvel movie. Yeah, for sure. I still hold that the Winter Soldier is the best. Because this is something I've been talking about a lot lately is like Marvel or Star Wars or whatever. You're not talking about a movie. You're talking about a cog in a machine, right? Like Endgame, if you just watched Endgame and you had never seen another movie, like what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Winter Soldier, if you'd never seen another Marvel movie, if you'd never even seen a war movie, you'd be like, okay, I get it. They're bad. They're good. He's spangly, whatever. Yeah, any references are just secondary. It doesn't really matter. Whereas Endgame is a movie of references. It's all it is. Absent those references, there's not really any story. Yeah, it's not. doesn't make it bad. At all. Makes it amazing, actually. It, it becomes technical 27, mastery. 27. I don't know how many movies there are, but... 24. Yeah. But it's technical mastery. It's not mastery of story or whatever. It's mastery of craft. Like, think about Endgame. And I know this is a horror movie podcast or a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. But the point being, how do you give each person screen time? How do you give each person a compelling story arc when you have 50 people? And the same can be said with the new Star Wars movie where people look, oh, I found it and they just do it fan service. Get fucked. Like, what <laughs> choice do you have? And also just like stop naysaying stuff. How do I have like, am I just overly like civil on the internet like let's just not be douchebags i'm sorry for those of you listening to this right now but a couple weeks ago on our weekly warm-up i triggered jake by mentioning the last jedi and now we're all suffering yeah (laughs) but i've had people like try and argue with me that it's good and i'm like why like here's the thing don't try and dissuade me you're not gonna win so just you're gonna lose but we'll move on two movies we can agree are better than the last jedi demonic toys and small soldiers at least one of those Nope, they're both better. (laughs) I have an argument. So basically, we're contextualizing this as a versus mode. We're trying to create content where we can talk about things and use bigger metadata and introduce you to stuff you might not have seen. Or, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are parents. This is a great cue-in. If your kid can handle small soldiers, a really good chance they can handle demonic toys. A real good chance. I I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. You could you guys so you could shoot Alan in the leg with spiky things and use melting like when Chip Hazard gets melted at the end. That's kind of a horrifying scene. Yeah, but he's not getting stabbed in the dick. Yeah, but that's <laughs> look, that's one of my trump cards as to why it's a better movie actually. But <laughs> my argument is is thusly now I'll I'll take it down to a two part prong. It was originally the dick stabbing was in there. I'll take it out. I can argue that Demonic Toys is better on two bases. One, it is shorter, which is so much better. And two, boobs. (laughs) Fair enough. Boom. Not Gwendy boobs. We're talking real Miss July boobs. God bless America. Did you not find it creepy, though, as you like the demon appeared as 
a child first. Oh, awful. And then turned into... <laughs> Not a fan of that. Nope. That's weird. It's okay, though. Boobs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's awesome. I think it's even... It's also weird that, like, you know, Krimsky or whatever his name is shows this kid boobs. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Have I ever shown you boobs on any platform, magazine or otherwise? No. See? That's what friends do. Friends trust another friend's ability to find his own boobs. I sent you a tattoo of boobs the other day. It was actually a single boob. Titler. Titler. Awesome. It was awful taste, but genius execution. It's a great subreddit. If you, <laughs> I've, I've told Jim, you have to sort it by top or trending. Because if you look at the new ones, there are so many people who are like, I bent a paperclip into the shape of a dick. Like, no. Yeah. Most of it is stupid. Beyond stupid. But if you're not going to the specific subreddit and they just pop up on all or whatever it is yeah. so you know the good ones <laughs> yeah you're scrolling through it's like donald trump donald trump donald oh, trump God. titler oh this is great <laughs> yes oh so good one sardonic remark by me recently is like i love how people can have these vitriolic arguments about star wars or whatever but nobody gives a shit about the political spectrum of the world uh, the entire planet that we live on it's america in a nutshell and england they have their oh, own yeah. trump guy, oh yeah boris johnson who apparently uses the force have you seen that video he like reaches towards the cameraman who trips backwards and they're like she pushed him with the force <laughs> like you british people need to stop drinking so much indian tea if you know what i'm saying that's kind of funny actually <laughs> my awesome joke that's super topical to the blue raj <laughs> Not to be confused with the Blue Raja of Mystery Men, which is probably the best superhero movie of all time. Even better than The Winter Soldier. I just said it. Quote me on it. Let's move on. So do you want to go with Demonic Toys first because it came first in line? Yeah, sure. Okay. So just a brief bit of context. I looked on Wikipedia and, uh, you know, totally credible resource. There are a hundred films that are listed in the theme of killer toys dating back to the 1930s. Crazy. So a lot of people want to criticize Demonic Toys for being a ripoff of Puppet Master. Puppet Master was, of course, Full Moon Productions' first film in 1989. Then when they rebranded as Full Moon Entertainment, they did Demonic Toys in 1992. Now, you can't blame a guy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? He knows he can make money off of evil toys. He does it. He's ripping himself off. I'm really not concerned about it. Have you seen the original Child's Play? Yeah. Okay. So you remember when the bad guy runs into the toy place and he puts his spirit using voodoo into a toy? Okay. So this movie, I feel like, is Child's Play meets Ghoulies more than it's anything with Puppet Master, but I digress. Now, if you watch in this film, did you notice that there's a cameo of Puppet Master 2, which came out in 1990? No, because I've never seen Puppet Master. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so no idea. So the security guard, when he's watching the TV, it's Puppet Master 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so if we look at, I guess, the film franchise, arguably, you could talk about Puppet Master and Puppet Master 2 being involved in it. But you have Demonic Toys in 92, The Doll Man versus Demonic Toys in 93, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys in 2004, which had been planned as far back as 1990 for a 1992 release. Oh, you didn't hear that correctly? Yeah. This is evidenced in the eighth edition of the Full Moon Video Zone, which featured promo art for a Puppet Master 4 with a face-off. Your boy went deep because there's not much substance in this movie. And then you end up with Demonic Toys 2 Personal Demons, which, wow, you thought this movie was bad. Holy fucking ball shits. I mean, ball testicles evacuating their bowels on a dvd so i mean 
you've got me intrigued, but I just don't know if I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it a little college try. <laughs> yeah. I'll have some free holies, but no. There was also, in 1992, they released a four-part comic book series called Demonic Toys Play at Your Own Risk. The art is bad. The story is bad. But the fact that it exists makes me very happy. And so I was able to find some of it online. If you look in my notes, you can see the cover, which features Jack Attack and the baby and the grizzly puppet. And they're like, we have guns. But that's kind of the background of this just craptastic shit fest. Nobody knows what the budget of this film was because it was direct to video. So they don't ever really announce the budget and they don't announce gross. As weird as it wouldn't be like some available somewhere. Yeah, it doesn't exist. I don't think that Full Moon was a publicly traded company or think they didn't have any stockholders that had to have an accounting. So it's just kind of there. So just making it and just putting it out and yep. hoping to make... That's what that video zone thing was that I told you about. It was a screener that they would send out to different companies like your blockbusters, your warehouse videos or whatever. And they'd say, hey, this is the features that we have coming out. You need to buy copies for rental or for sale. And so basically it's a hype video of like, oh, this movie's going to be legit. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. It wasn't. Not at all. <laughs> so the opening weekend, I guess you would call it, of the direct-to-video was March 12th, 1992. Now, the in-theater competition, to show you just how far back in the rear view this was, Gladiator, not the Russell Crowe version, The Lawnmower Man, Meatballs Four, which featured one of the actors from this film, actually, My Cousin Vinny, Basic Instinct, and Ladybugs. That's your competition for that month. That's crazy. Okay, so I have to ask, as a lawyer, yes, did you have to watch this film in college? Yep. <laughs> My Cousin so Vinny. it really is like... It's perfect. Perfect, okay. It is, it is a great movie. What Jim's referring to is the cross-examination scene with Marissa Tomei. They establish her as an expert witness, which you don't have to have any necessary credentials. You just have to express that you have some kind of mastery or understanding. And they go through and he cross-examines her point by point to prove that I think it's the Skylark didn't leave the trail. Right. Um, it's, a, it's wonderful. And that movie is so charming. Fred Gwynn is amazing. Joe Pesci is amazing. I mean, it's that is a really, really good movie. The Two Utes. You know what I'm talking about? I say it all the time when I'm talking about my kid. The youth. And my wife just looks at me like, I didn't have never laughed at this. Why do you keep making this reference to a movie I've never laughed at? Because I laugh at it, damn it. I'm laughing on the inside. I find myself <laughs> hilarious. I don't know if that's evident in the show. But the runtime on this film, 86 minutes. Oh, it's so nice. It's still a little long when you factor in the production value on this film. But if you make Small Soldiers 86 minutes, you got a winner, dog. Yeah. This was directed by Peter Moonigan. Moon Moonjian. Moonugian. Yep. He directed the Dungeon Master segment Cave Beast, Arena, Devil Dolls, and Deadly Dolls Deepest Cuts. Now, yeah, these are not good movies. But we have to get to a certain David S. Goyer. Do you know who David Goyer is? No. Okay. So you've seen his work. I know you oh. have. We've talked about it. He did Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark City, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Blade, Blade 2, Blade Trinity, Jumper, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, to name a few. So he gets this story from the producer Charles Band, who's like, hey, I have an idea. Fucking toys do something. Here you go. And he leverages this and ends up making this crazy career where he's a superhero guy. So this was... Obviously, this was way before anything he put out anything good. Yeah, but it's it's absolutely nuts. So at this point in his career, I think that he had done a movie called or a made for TV movie, The Substitute, and he did it under a pseudonym, Cynthia Verlaine. <laughs> so it's like 
that's the movie you use a pseudonym, not Demonic Toys? I mean, there's got to be a lot to be said that's it's not his fault that this was a shit movie. Like, you could have taken the screenplay that he wrote and given it a bigger budget and a better director and better actors, and it could have been amazing. Right, I would give it that. I think that is possible. It definitely is possible. I mean, there's Not obviously some questionable stuff, yes. story wise. A mm-hmm. lot of questionable shit. Yeah, but still, I think it's like edgy. it could have been serviceable. It reminds me of when James Gunn was dismissing his like questionable tweets, where he was like, right. "I was being a provocateur." Some of the stuff, I'm like, "You're trying to be edgy, huh?" Yeah, like I don't like any of these characters, dude. That's one of the pitfalls of somebody trying to write an edgy character as opposed to just having somebody organically be that way. Right. So, as I mentioned, produced by Charles Band, 305 producing credits. Wow. Anything notable? Everything that Full Moon did. And he has a bunch of stuff from there. Yeah. His brother, Richard Band, did the music for it. And there's actually a 15-minute video you can find on YouTube showing him doing the synthesizer work and using this really, really ancient computer, which is delightful to watch. But he's talking about the construction of the songs. And I was like, wait a second. You deliberately wrote music for this movie? (laughs) You didn't just find something in a warehouse on an analog tape that had been pissed on by a homeless person. You actually made music for this. How interesting. Makeup and effects by John Buchler, who was accused of making characters with a big brow because he himself has a, quote, massive brow. (laughs) He said that. and I was like, I'm sorry. What? Like, first of all, who has enough of an opinion about this film to be like, sir, I believe that you have shaped that baby oopsie poops off of your own malformed noggin. (laughs) So weird. So of all the trivia we've had <laughs> he's like responding to it it's so weird like i could just imagine a press conference like hear ye hear ye let's gather here to talk about my eyebrow piece oh it's so good and that's coming from a guy who has a mongoloid brow in and of himself so now that we've kind of gone through as close to my statistics as we can get let's go into the small soldiers one and then we're going to go point by point and compare the two sound fair Let's do it. So go for it, bud. All right. So Small Soldiers was made on a budget of $40 million. You know what? I'll take one-tenth of that, and we're going to rev- we'll give Slasher's podcast a facelift. How about it? It's a bargain. <laughs> okay. No takers? All right. Oh, please. Somebody. Please. Anybody. <laughs> I will take one-tenth of 1% of that. So the movie grossed $71.1 million. That's 55 domestic, 16 worldwide. And it had an opening weekend of July 10th, 1998, $14 million opening weekend. It's not bad. Not terrible. You'd expect it to be bigger, uh, though. I mean, it came out against Armageddon. And Mask and of Zorro, Zorro. And, and basketball. basketball. I mean, that's a terrible combination. That's like that's this age group. It, when I was that age, if you were like, oh, you can see any of these other films, I'd be like, I don't want to close my eyes. No, nothing. Liv Tyler. Steven Tyler. Liv Tyler in the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, there's the animal crackers on her little tummy. I'm Ben Affleck. I'll play Batman <laughs> at some point, Jeez. and I'll have a body like Jake in his dreams. But that really is like, okay, so Armageddon, huge blockbuster. Crazy. Zorro. like Amazing. That movie is so good. Yeah. So cool adventure film and basketball for the degenerates out there. Exactly. For the dummies. <laughs> That's- I'm not, I mean, okay. I loved that movie when it came out. I thought it was fucking hilarious. See, Perry. But yeah, you like you just hit every single like almost every single thing. If you had a rom com in there or something, yeah, nobody would movie. have seen Small Soldiers. I think you're entirely right. It's super frustrating because you're just like right in that age group too, and like all those are PG thirteen. 
this movie is PG-13. The crazy thing, if not for Joe Dante, this movie would have been PG... Because if you remember when we did our Gremlins episode, Gremlins was hugely integral in the creation of the PG-13 criteria. Right. Now, granted, over the 30 years, probably another movie would have inspired the PG-13 rating. But let's say, hypothetically, it's not there. This is a PG film. It's way easier to sell a PG film about toys to that age group than people who are 13. By the time I was 13, I had discovered my dick and I was <laughs> jacking off. Do you really expect me to think I'm going to play with toys? I'm going to play with myself. I'm watching Armageddon. Don't want to close my... So this movie has a runtime of 108 minutes. Cut it. Yeah. Oh. Trim the fat. Okay. Here's here's something that I want you all to do because I don't drink. I want you to, every time you can count to three Mississippis in this movie, you take a shot, you will die of alcohol poisoning <laughs> because there are so many scenes where it's like Alan on his bicycle. Fuck off. Where it's, you know, it's Phil Hartman cutting a tree. And I love Phil Hartman. Don't care. You could easily cut 20 minutes out of this movie. So the movie was directed by Joe Dante. So this is the same director that did, obviously, the Grim- Gremlins, Howling. What else did he do? Obviously, Gremlins 2. So here's a fun bit. One of our fans had reached out and was like, I love your thesis that Indiana Jones and Gremlins are in the same universe. <laughs> now, here's this. I'm going to fuck up your life, okay, son? If you look at the hieroglyphs in the back of Indiana Jones, you will see that there is C-3PO and R2-D2. Established fact. Boom. Shared universe there. So now you're talking about Gremlins being in the same universe as Star Wars. But Star Wars we've established in a shared universe with, boom, E.T. So we have we had E.T. there, right? Boom. You're excited. Then you add the howling to it because you remember the newscast at the end of Gremlins, right? Well, okay, fine. Jim corrects me. It's I'm fine. just saying. You're entitled to you've got me coffee. If you hadn't got me coffee, we'd be fighting. <laughs> we wouldn't be friends anymore. Best friends. Suck it, Brian. Suck it, Chad. So we established that's all. Those four are a shared universe. You, you follow me here? Alan Abernathy, the tabernacle kid himself, has a gremlin skull on his desk. So you add gremlins to this movie, which means small soldiers is in there. Then you add a piranha. <laughs> because Joe Dante directed Piranha, which is what got him his directing role in gremlins so you have those six are all in one shared universe where piranha which is the base for piranha 3d where jerry o'connell gets his dick bitten off and spit at the screen that is in a shared universe with phone home <laughs> and the force i love it it hurts your brain doesn't it a little i love it so much so joe dante originally wanted the cast of predator to voice the commando elite i would love that so so much <laughs> it's so cool jeez you got a big pussy <laughs> oh man all right the movie was written by uh, gavin scott who did the borrowers and young indiana jones it's also written by adam rifkin who did mouse hunt zoom Killerama and Knucklehead. Knucklehead, the movie with Paul Wright, who's the big show. We talked about that on an episode recently. But he directed In two movies that are very important. Detroit Rock City and Psycho Cop Returns. Yep. And then a third one that's even more important, the softcore porn, The Invisible Maniac. As Riff Coogan. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> Dude, I that's a guy who has, you have to have a mustache with a name like Riff Coogan, right? Yeah. But then here's an interesting amount of crossover. So you have Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio who did rewrites on this film. What film did they famously write? The Puppet Master. What? It's like a shared universe with this. And if you have a shared universe with Puppet Master, that means you have a shared universe with demonic toys, which means you have one with Doll Man. Technically speaking, you don't necessarily have one with demonic toys because 
Charles Band had said in an interview that that's not a canonical film, but I digress. So I feel like if there's a crossover, <laughs> let's not get into it. Right. Please don't. You do not tempt me to go crazy <laughs> on this show. I think we, I've detoured enough. Ted Elliott and Terry Ro- Rosio, they also did Shrek, Pirates of the Caribbean, Little Monsters, Aladdin, and Mask of Zorro. Not Little Monsters with Lupita Nyong'o, Little Monsters with Hallie Mandel and Fred Savage, just to be right. clear. Which is very important because if they had done Little Monsters, I'd be gushing right now because I think that I squirt because I love that movie so much. <laughs> I kind of want to rewatch it or re-listen to that episode and be like, oh my God, like simmer down, Jig. You need to calm <laughs> it down. I felt like a chihuahua humping a leg. I was so excited about no, that film. That was a fun episode to record too. Because so. you were on it. Bling, bling, bling. Uh-huh. Suck it, Brian. Suck it, Jig. So the movie was produced by Colin Wilson, Walter Parks, Michael Finnell, and a little fella. Little guy named uh, Steve Spielberg. Stevie, our, our our main man, Stevie. He was uncredited in it, but I mean, remember, this is a team with Spielberg and Dante that did Gremlins. Yeah, and music by Jerry Goldsmith. I type Jerry, my phone types Goldsmith because this is the third movie in a row who's had music done by Jerry Goldsmith. That we've reviewed. <laughs> It's nuts, but he's we so didn't prolific. Mean to do that, by the way. Yeah. It just happened. You could seriously go through his IMDb and just be like, oh, what? Jerry, save some talent for the rest of us. But a lot of people want to give, you know, Michael Giacchino or like John Williams a lot of credit, like Danny Elfman. Nah, Jerry Goldsmith. The guy is a sex. He just exudes sexual tension. Just to put this in context, he did the Planet of the Apes soundtrack from 1968. Not the Marky Mark version. That's how <laughs> long his career goes up until two thousand five. Two thousand three is the last three. one I saw. He did Hollow Man, where Kevin Bacon tweaks a nipple while he's invisible. Dog, do you remember that? <laughs> no, dude, it's a redhead. So naturally, I'm super excited about <laughs> it. And there you see like this, this, this you know computer animated titty, but boing. Oh, it's great. Other films that he did, obviously, you're talking Gremlins, you're talking Gremlins to the new batch, you're talking about Poltergeist. He did The Boys from Brazil, for Christ's sake. The Omen, you ever heard of it? Alien, you ever heard of it? So hold on. So he did five films that we reviewed this year. So at the time of this release, this will be 52 episodes. Think about that. Almost 10% of the movies we've done on this show have been Jerry Goldsmith. What? It's mind-blowing. But, I mean, he's... Obviously, he's just amazing, so it makes sense. Oh, yeah. And then you have the great Stan Winston doing the armatures, the puppetry, the character design. And in five months, he had to design and build over 200 puppets, which is basically the timeline that the fictional characters have in this film. It's insanity. And he did three different kinds of puppets. He had self-contained battery-powered puppets. He had a rod puppet, which basically they would scrub out. A rod puppet, think your Sesame Street. You know how Elmo's arms move? Yeah. That kind of thing. And then they had a non-articulated stand-in where basically it would just be present in the background. A lot of times you'll see those as a focal point of reference so that computer animators can look and see how color swaths and hues would affect in like okay. lighting conditions. So you go, okay, like when the guy was standing in for Jar Jar Binks, you can see sometimes he has a head that looks like Jar Jar. That's not just for the actors. It's so that when they're doing the color and contrasting, go, oh, well, in this lighting situation... Shadow reference and stuff like that. Exactly. So that's one of the things they did with this. So when you think about how much work goes into it, and one of the things I think is brilliant about this movie, by using a toy, you are using a smooth polygonal surface, right? You're looking at something that when you're rendering it, it looks great. 
like this the computer animation on this it holds up really it well it does I, that's one of the things that watching this movie that i took away from it was like the cgi looks great and they we'll get more into it later but it was majority of it was cgi too yeah a lot of it and that's one of the things a lot of the puppetry is either by reference or they completely scrubbed the puppet and replaced it with the cgi or they completely scrubbed the rods or whatever but you still have something going on there man the things you could do with 40 million dollars yeah it's crazy you could totally fund <laughs> slashers podcast for the next millennia or you could take Donald Trump golfing like once, right? Oh, shit. Ooh. I went there. Anyway, let's talk about. So here's some criteria we're going to use for the basis of comparing and contrasting these films. Story slash screenplay, directing, cinematography slash camera work, acting, special effects, music slash sound and originality. Spoiler alert. I know it's pretty far down the list, but Richard Band does not hold a candle to Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> I, it's funny because while not great i thought the music was okay oh yeah it's not it's totally fine but yeah you contrast it with jerry goldsmith you're like oh well that's yeah. a shame and also if you take the unoriginal music from the film you have led zeppelin who like notoriously never lets anybody use their music so it's kind of amazing that it ends up in this film they had a lot so we talked about you're talking about small soldiers correct we talked a lot about you know what i'll save it for the music segment Ooh, more reason you should get past minute 30 of this episode so let's talk about story slash screenplay david goyer versus the 17 people who wrote small soldiers in terms of a story which do we think is better small soldiers i thought so but i'm gonna make an advocacy point on this one and it's just you and i we don't have a third person to break the tie or whatever so whatever i don't expect to prove you wrong my issue with small soldiers and i remember this even as a kid I understand the idea of like capitalism and warmongering and making an argument as far as, you know, socioculturally when you're talking about like your GI Joes and everything and imperialism, right? Military industrial complex. But the Gorgonites, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that the Gorgonites are the bad guys. They do nothing bad. They do nothing wrong. I think Small Soldiers would be a better movie than Demonic Toys story structure wise if you found out that there was like a subroutine on the Gorgonites that was like them being the peaceful learning ones. And it was just like a facade. that They were monsters. Isn't that that's what happens, though? No. So not the subroutine, but they're not the bad. They're only the bad guys because that's my point. So you're going to put out a product line, a multi-million dollar product line where you're selling toys for seventy nine ninety five a pop that aren't bad, that are pathetic. I, they're like oh, okay. simpering and they're sad the right. whole time. They hide or yeah. whatever. Fuck is that? I want to okay. blow it up. So my understanding of it was that the David Cross was he was some, like sympathetic to it. He he was like, well, these aren't the bad guys. These yeah. are these are good guys. That's and so I mean. that's why they ended up being like in this weird limbo of like they're not soup. They're not they're not the heroes. They're not they're the bad guys, quote unquote. But they're not really bad guys they're more like the victims exactly but the my point is i understand that but in terms of a real world element it can't happen like it's okay. they're too they're like it's they're one step too pathetic like you're modeled after he-man characters for christ's sake let's let's bulk up a bit like let's be a little bit tougher like i don't want this like this weak-willed callow so, kind so you of would thing. have been okay if it was the command elite were the same but then these guys were like no fuck this we're not gonna we're gonna fight back 
every step of the way type of thing. No, not even that. This is like literally my idea is this. It starts off and they're like, I'm, I'm picking my nose. I'm the booger man or whatever. Like the farty guy was right. Uh-huh. But then let's say Archer finds the Encarta and he becomes like, oh, and he realizes his love for learning and it's his like subroutine. Goes, oh, wait, I'm a Gorgonite. I, I'm here to learn and, and quest and find Gorgon. I'm here to you know better myself. And that's where the love and the nurturing of David Cross's character comes out. And you find that it was just a product. That's not who they really are. And you're talking about the substance and the idea of like, oh, you know, you don't see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there, right? That comes out of I'm this gross monster <laughs> because it just it's so the contrast is so pathetic. We're like, come on, right? That's my only real issue with the structure of this movie. The detour is the length of the movie, whatever. That's my point because I think the story structure on Demonic Toys is kind of fun. Like, it's weird. Don't get it twisted. I think the problem with it was presentation. Yeah, I agree. Completely. Like You just... could do this movie well. Right. So, let me ask you this. The giving birth to a horned, stillborn monster that is then given to trick-or-treaters. Too far, not far <laughs> enough. Oh, my God. It was so... F- I was... At this point in the movie, I was like... Or just prior to this, I was like, where the fuck is this going? It was kind of just like people... Straight to hell. Yeah, it was kind of people just going around a warehouse being eaten. Like, And you're like, where's the plot? Yeah. You know? And then it all kind of just happens at once. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit! Yeah, so it's like, that's that's the thing is it's the questionable because the demon's like, I'm going to have my way with you or I'm, we're going to do the nasty and then you're going to give birth to my myself. <laughs> and then like that but it all came like so that was weird but the whole thing about like the backstory and stuff like that you should have started with that back that flashback scene yeah especially the movie with that it's way less derivative of child's play if you do it that way too right yeah start the movie with that like a cold cold opening that way instead of a cold opening of two people you have nothing no you don't know anything about and you've realized you in two seconds i'm pregnant oh we're also cops <laughs> open the movie with the back in 66 years ago or whatever and why did you choose 66 years ago because there's one number off of 666 it should have been 66 years ago and six months <gasps> yeah <laughs> But yeah, I completely agree. It's like we're, we're cop partners and we're life partners. And that means that we care when one guy dies. Not nah, still don't care. Remarkable how little I care <laughs> about him. And if we were doing nicknames on this, I would have called him Mori Povich because he is the father. Boom. <laughs> I still came up with them because I I have you know, no ability not to. Like Tracy Scoggins. Have you, you know who Ray Weiss is or Ray Wise? He was the guy who looks like he's just spray tanned to death in RoboCop. Yeah, I was going to call so. her female Ray Wise yeah. or the tanning booth because she looks just like him to the point where I was like, this is a weird boner I'm experiencing right now. <laughs> and so what do you think of the character uh, of the kid? We'll kind of blend this in with the acting one. The kid who's the demon. How many, You see the smooth talking demon so many times. I like this kid. So for me, he was the best actor. Yes. And I know it wasn't his voice. For sure. But his facial, ex- his facial expressions... So even when he wasn't talking, just the the motions and the faces and stuff he was giving, that was the best part of the movie, actually. It, was it, it seemed like he knew what he was saying. Right. You know, I talk about this very often, like Hamlet 2000. Bill Murray's the best actor in that film to me because he's the only one who looks like he understands what he's saying with the these and thousand eyes. In this movie, like the kid gets what he's talking about and you could see it in the way he's gesturing with these creepy nails and stuff. I thought he was way better than anybody else. I completely oh, agree with you. By and large, the, I mean, so far above everybody else's acting ability, just in his face. It was it, He didn't even have to use his voice. I mean, 
Yeah. I guess whoever was doing the voice for it added to it. But still, the kid's just perfect expression. Yeah, the way he based his acting performance was actually on his, quote, really mean, end quote, brother. And he said <laughs> that he, quote, thinks the story is pretty rad. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Fittingly enough, he ended up being in Children of the Corn 3. That kid was Daniel Cerny. So there you go. Now, story structure wise, the whole idea of her like keeping the bad guy alive who killed her man friend because of justice. Yeah, because she's the good cop. Yeah, it's fine. What do you think about the weird kid from the air ducts? If, if you've seen Community, basically we're talking about Annie's boobs here. And if you haven't seen Community, you need to figure out what I'm talking about with Annie's boobs. <laughs> but this girl comes out of the air ducts and she's like, what's up? I live here now. Yeah. Like Plot three twist. quarters of the way into the movie, too. Yeah. She's like, oh, they're demons. They're they're animating the toys. Great. How did you know that? How yeah. do you know it's a demon? Or like when she gets caught by the weird gas mask girls. That's terrifying and red. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. And then she's gone. So I'm like, again, like, uh, I guess I'm supposed to care about her because she's a kid. I don't know. It was very weird. Yeah. She, You could do without her. You completely. Yeah. I, I don't know if they did it to give Chicken Boy some... Like another person, like a side quest type of thing where he, so he goes off and separates him from Gray, Judith yeah. Gray. And it pads for time a little bit and it makes him a little bit more sympathetic because he's obviously tenderer with her than he is when he's telling the one guy he's going to suck his dick or something, yeah. right? Doesn't he tell his boss he's going to suck his dick and then kill himself in the guy's car? <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, I think he's like, you'll, I think you'll, uh, he's, like, he's talking about a cigarette and you think he says he's going to, it's his dick and then he says he's going to kill himself in the chunky chicken car. It's weird. Speaking of Chunky Chicken, how about Pete Scrum as Charneski, who, if I was giving nicknames, he'd be Polishinski, because that guy, hey, I, I want some chicken there. Hey, you get that the shit again. The guy who was also in the director's films Arena and Eliminators, which are bad. What do you think of that character? Well, he wasn't the, the security guard, was he? he is, yeah, yeah, he was the... Who gets stabbed in the dick. He stabbed in the dick. He was annoying as shit. Yeah. If you made him Al Powell from Die Hard, I would love this character. But as he is, I'm like, yeah. nah, he's gross. And he shows a kid porno. He's fine. He could die. <laughs> I feel like it's fitting he gets stabbed in the dick. It doesn't feel like tragic in any no. way. No. Normally I'd cringe, but... yeah. For him, it's Whatever. like, hey, you get what you, you reap what you sow, right? So in terms of story structure and acting, I'm all over the place. Sorry about it. So I guess we should talk about the toys themselves, yeah? Yes. So baby Oopsie Daisy, who also is in Devil Dolls in the Haunted Dollhouse in, in Demonic Toys 2. Fun fact, they change his name to Baby Whoopsie. <laughs> and then you have Grizzly Teddy, who is based off of the dolls from 1987. Then you have Jack Attack, who's an evil bong, Devil Dolls in the Haunted Dollhouse. And then you have Mr. Static, who's a little cute robot who shoots lasers. I liked the robot the best. Super cool. Because, okay, Baby Whoopsie Daisy or whatever. Awful. Yeah. Like all the other toys are using using a knife or they're shooting with guns and the laser, the freaking robot shoots lasers. Yeah, and the squibs <laughs> don't make any sense, which makes it even better, right? The way that they blow up, it's like, that's not the way trajectory works, but it looks great. Like he, they spent more money on this than anything else in the film. Here are some quotes. Hi, you fat fuck. I'm baby oopsie daisy, you lard ass. Will you be my special friend? I'm baby oopsie daisy. Will you be my special friend? Mother of Satan, could this be the end of baby oopsie daisy? Jeez, you're heavy, you Moby fucking dick. <laughs> you're fucking up my makeup. Bummer. So yeah, probably not David S. Goyer's best work. 
And then, so when we talked about Krampus, if you look at the monster dolls in Krampus, it's based on this. You had your robot, your teddy bear, your angelic baby, and then the Jack in the Box. Was it so? It was actually based from demonic toys. I mean, it's a one for one comparison. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. So I mean, if you watch it, they do a good enough job of diversifying where you don't feel like oh, you're beating over the head with it. But it's a nice. Yeah. It's it. That's very much more of the homage than the direct ripoff. So let's talk about small soldiers, yeah? You have Chip Hazard, Tommy Lee Jones himself, chewing the fucking scenery in this movie. Good God almighty. I love Tommy Lee Jones. He's so good. He's Chip just, Hazard. It's a great name, too, because it's foreshadowing, because the chip is the hazard. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're so clever. Yeah, right? His voice is so perfect for that commander, whatever, hoorah guy. Everything else is just a toy. <laughs> there will be no mercy. When Archer is like, oh, I'm wired just like you. He's like, we're nothing alike, Gorgonite scum. It's so fun. But it, that just shows, like, all the things that people idolize in, like, the G.I. Joe. Like, they're fucking terrible. Like, this is wrong. Right. This is good. What did you think of Frank Langella, a.k.a. motherfucking Skeletor, as Archer? He was okay. I yeah. mean, I think it's just, it's not a problem with him. It's a problem with the lines that they give they gave him, which are just boring and the pacing is weird every time he talks it's like he's dumb and he's like figuring yeah. it out it's so weird because he's the learning one so maybe they just start dumber because they're meant to learn up but he seems so stupid compared to chip has when they first well come they're the box. not that's the thing is that the toy makers didn't know that they're supposed to learn well that's the whole point of why dennis leary is like oh that's dumb you said learning because right. I guess it's supposed to encourage kids to learn, but the device itself isn't supposed to learn. You are correct, Jim. But, I am wrong. But the, so they end up being the chips are being self-learning AI. Yeah. Whatever the X1000 processors. But anyways, yeah, he's just he's dumb and bland. Like he just we talked we talked about earlier. He's, he should have been more heroic. Every other one of the Gorgons and Gorgonites has more fun. Right. Insaniac when he's doing the dumb you know, radio disc jockey kind of voice. Punch it, who's basically being like Quasimodo. Like, they're way more fun. Or you got the, what's the one, the weird name? Kakion? Kakalon? Troglacon. Troglacon. Who ends up being like Frankenstein, who gets FM radio put in his brain. Like, yes. every one of them is more interesting than he is. So, I yeah, I definitely agree. I think that the best part of this is the Commando Elite. They're so much more fun. You got Ernest Borgnine, for Christ's sake. And let's go through these names. Sorry. I'm going to calm down. I'm all over the place. <laughs> Chip Hazard, Brick Bazooka, Butch Meathook, Kip Killigan, Nick Nitro, Link Static. I haven't seen this movie in over a decade, but when Nick Nitro says his name and he's like, demolition is my mission. He goes, I've served with your father. He was a good man. I vividly remembered <laughs> that. I was like, what the fuck? Because they're just so much more fun. Like it's camp. It's yeah. schlock. Like they say the shit in the way that you wish that baby oopsie daisy did. Right. Yeah. And they just have so much more personality, especially compared to the like, Gorgonites. Yeah. And it goes back to the writing of them that why are they just hiding yeah. And they kind of evolve more at the end when they start helping out. But even then, but, yeah, they, but, they're, but the still. nature of them hiding is the only way they survive. Right. Because it's not as though they accidentally get covered in the satellite dish. They hide under it. Right. Yeah. So in terms of characters, I the Commando Elite beat the demonic toys. But if you're taking it as a whole, I think the demonic toys beat the Commando Elite and 
the Gorgonites because they end up getting so watered down. Okay. I would say, I mean, I would say that the, the commando elite are so far above the demonic toys, everything else that it doesn't even matter that the Gorgonites don't <laughs> because everything else is just a toy. Boom. Oh, if you get the, the actors in, there's no contest. The small soldiers actors are so much better. Like the kid who plays little Fox Mulder, Alan Abernathy, the Gregory Smith kid, he's good. Kristen Dunst is fine as she always yeah. is. Kevin Dunn is good. And you have Bill Hartman, Jay Moore, David Cross, and Dennis Leary. For fuck's sake, that is a great cast of awesome comedians. But we were talking about, we, were, we both agreed that Dennis Leary should not be in the beginning of this film. As a great way of cutting it down, you have him show up at the end when David Cross is like, oh, he's here. And that's when you reveal the big boss. I think it would have been a, a great way to kind of make the mistake of the toy makers using these chips even bigger that where they have just an assistant or a yes man come in and be like, you know, OK, we've taken over all your stuff is shit. Make it better. And then you have access to all of the, all, the, all of our money and all of our, our tech research. Yeah, because it becomes like the wonderful Wizard of Oz, right? He's great right. and powerful. And you're like, oh, the man behind the curtain, like he's so intimidating. And then it, it's just Dennis Leary who's cranky on a, on a helicopter. Yeah. And then, but then, and so at the end, if this is how it happened with an assistant in the beginning, right? And they're kind of given their, their free reign. They don't have the fear put into them by Dennis Leary at the very beginning. Then, and they're not all nervous about it. Then at the, they could fuck up royally like they did and then not QA everything, anything. And at the end of the movie, you have Dennis Leary coming in and he's like, wow, you guys fucked up. And he's paying off all these people. Yeah. And then he's like, you know what? We could use these for the military. Which would be a great punchline to the entire movie. Right. Which is also a great way of reminding you it's a kid's movie because it's like nobody was really hurt. But <laughs> right. we could have hurt somebody. And it's also a sardonic joke on capitalism. Yeah. I definitely agree. Would I, you agree with me? Yeah. I want to say there are two people that we missed. <laughs> Ooh. The Gwindy Dolls. Oh. Sarah Michelle Geller and Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci, my first love. Oh. <laughs> Anytime my wife sees a girl with a black dress and a white collar, she goes, hey, look, at there's your Wednesday Adams. And I'm like, shut up. I'll leave you in a second, redheaded <laughs> wench. It's a good thing she never listens to the episodes. But yeah, the Gwendy dolls suffer from Ghostbusters 2016 to me, where it's like, never try. Oh, you're trying to make too many quips. Oh, okay. I thought their quips were funny. That I think like one in three was. Okay. Yeah, but like, Fair it's enough, just, but there's so much repetition. Right. That's the problem. If it would have just been, I think I even put it in my notes as far as like, Jesus Christ, you need to calm it down. But yeah, it, it just it becomes too redundant where it's like, oh, do you like my manicure? Oh, are you a cute boy? Oh, do you work out? Blah, blah, blah. I just because it because they're doll and he, they're making fun of Barbie. Correct. And, and Barbie's come a long way. Let's be honest. They've, yeah. I was just at Target the other day and they have like the Sally Ride Barbie, which is cool. I was like, hey, I want one of those. <laughs> But like, I wish that they would have retained those characteristics as opposed to just all becoming military. Like, oh, I'm Dr. Barb or Gwendy. I I'm philanthropist Gwendy. I'm mechanic Gwendy. But then like, I'm Dr. Gwendy, but then like fucked up Dr. Gwendy. Would exactly. Have been, okay, that would have been awesome. So they still have some personality. Right. But I guess the whole joke is that they don't have personality. They're bland as fuck. Right. And for the time this came out. Yeah. I mean, Barbie, that's like why Barbie is looked down upon as just being... Do you remember in our, in our youth that women like boycotted and protested that they made a Paralympic Barbie where she was yeah. she, in like one of those seated bicycles where you pedal with your hands and she had like articulating legs. And and bite. Yeah. And people were like, oh, I can't believe that you would do this. It's so blah, blah. And I was like, 
you are kidding me right now. Fuck inclusivity. Uh. Yeah. You mean you can have Ken without a dick, but you make Barbie not walk and suddenly you care about people's anatomical <laughs> shortcomings? But yeah. So I think that at this point, we're giving it story and screenplay and acting. I'm going to say that the story is better for demonic toys, but the acting is infinitely better in Small Soldiers. That's my view. What do you think? Yeah. And if we want to go back to the story, I like elaborate more is Small Soldiers is, is pretty generic. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And demonic toys is, like we said, not try hard, but edgy. Yeah. Trying to be edgy. But I think there's more there that could be interesting. The, the mysticism or the, the kind of the demonic devil thing going yeah. yeah i like it i think that there was a lot there that really could have stood out yeah and i think if joe dante wasn't doing basically a ripoff of gremlins but yuppified then small soldiers is unique but like if the even the aesthetic is very similar and reminiscent to gremlins it's just not in december yeah no, so no, no, no. small th- town yeah family whatever i mean it's it's that's generic of movies from the time Oh, yeah. And that's why more recently we like things like Stranger Things and Super 8 and stuff like that. It's reminiscent of those. But then they cheat, like they flip the genre. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, cool. It's one to one directing. I just concede. It goes to Joe Dante. Yes. The fact that he can make all those things work. I mean, obviously, Small Soldiers has its flaws, but fuck, man. Like, you couldn't pay. You could pay me to do it, but you could not pay me any amount that would make me do it as well as Joe Dante. Right. That's the art behind it. Yeah. You pay me a billion dollars. I'm like, okay, great. It's still going to be a clusterfuck. But he finds some way to create semblance of hundreds of moving parts and crazy set pieces. And this movie has a lot of practical effects. You have, you know, like the stupid scooter jump alone. I would (laughs) not know where to start on how to do that. I'd be like, oh, outsource it. Just send it to India and see what comes back. So then we go to cinematography and camera work. I mean, I guess you have to give it to small soldiers because all the special effects work so much better. And there's just not that much. They do a kind of good job in demonic toys of like hiding the lower half because all of them are fucking sock puppets. Yeah. But it's not but great. But still you could tell. <laughs> yeah. you're. It's always conveniently hiding behind a box or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're doing the little side lean out or whatever. And then. But even the cinematography and the camera shots. And small soldiers were just run-of-the-mill stuff. There was nothing. Yeah. That there were was... some shots that could have been tighter, right? Like when they're chasing Alan on the bicycle, some of the shots are kind of like weirdly, like they're not up close and they're not far out. They're just kind of weird. Like mid-ground. a medium shot. Yeah. It's funny. I wrote my notes that pretty much all, there's there's no really establishing shots of anything. There's like one in the beginning for the toy shop. Yeah. Where he's riding through town and you come to the toy shop. Which is Orange County. Oh, really? Yeah, the Orange Circle. Okay. I'm going to have to go back and look at it. That was a long time ago, though. Yeah, but um, very familiar, but it's, you know, nothing about it. Like the house, when at the end of the movie, the house's roof is sinking in. That's hilarious. (laughs) But like they don't, like you said, they don't do an establishing shot. So you don't have that visual contrast because they don't have, I guess, the second time. Because you kind of have the establishing shot when Alan's like bringing the ticket. But then at the end, it's like, oh, it's just a mess. It's jarbled. And and the entire movie is, it's all close up to medium shots. Yeah. There's no big panning scenes or anything. I think one of the reasons they, why is because the threat is so small in that movie that to yes. do that. Yeah. You got to bring it down. And then that's what all the all the super close up shots. I mean, it feels like Toy Story where. Yeah. Yeah. Toy Story where it's like everything is down low to the toys level where they're if, as if they were full size people. Yeah. 
which I, I've always kind of loved, especially in, in toy movies like Toy Story, where it's like, it's such a different sense of scale. Oh, yeah. Or like Indian in the Cupboard or whatever. It's or like Bugs Life. Bugs Life. Or, Ants. Yeah. Whatever. Like, it's such Ants, a... Let's not reference well, that movie because it's kind of <laughs> terrible. But there is a scene where Danny Glover's disembodied head speaks. So, yeah, you know what? Ants is great. I take that back. I love Ants now. I remember that out. I like those because it's just like a different perspective on the way that we see things. Oh, yeah. I remember listening to the animators for A Bug's Life talking about the translucence of a blade of grass. That's how meticulous they got in the idea and scope. I was like, as a kid, I was like, I never fucking looked through grass <laughs> well, deliberately. But then you realize, oh, yeah, grass is totally translucent and it would look terrifying and weird if it wasn't. Right. So I, I very much agree with what you're saying. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, my God. How did we not say that first? Oh, I love that movie so much. That movie is so fucking gnarly. I haven't seen that movie since probably, I was probably a teenager. Oh, it's, and it's so something good. I've got to. Rick Moranis. He's so fucking good. Where have you gone? You've heard that, right? Oh, he's the saddest guy ever. He's a beautiful man. I'm ready for him to make a comeback. If Dana Carvey can make a comeback, so can Rick Moranis. So go, going back to the camera and cinematography, what bugged me a lot about demonic toys, and I mean, it, they're on a fucking, who knows what, whatever budget they were on, and they shot in a warehouse. Yeah. And it's like, it. it's so claustrophobic to me. It didn't really add much to the like horror of it i feel like if we had seen like a normal scene like outside in daylight at a different time or whatever like for comparison to like okay where they are i think it would have been better just to show more yeah everything felt like a sound stage even when they're you know the doing the yeah. whatever crime deal and then it goes sour that felt like it was on a sound stage and i i agree when you get inside the warehouse it just kind of convoluted right like and also the idea of like her locking them in and then going out and then that doesn't make any sense and give us a reason why give us a visual cue as to why give us a something but it just it reminded me of like a movie where it's like oh my uncle has a farm we can shoot our stupid star wars fan film on a farm and we'll just be out in the woods they're like oh we have this we have access to a warehouse we don't have to do any set dressing like why is it just a warehouse and they even talk about it in the movie being full of old toys yeah were they, were they overstock or recall or something but like, recall. none of them match it's just weird like why not make it like a, a salvation army kind of thing where it's like a donate bin so that's why they're all like and each one has their own personality because each one was like a hand-me-down from a different person so it's like imbued with different cosmic energy or something versus just like i'm baby oopsie daisy that's the thing like in small soldiers you never see another chip hazard right because that personality is so specifically defined that one's a leader and what will the leader do it will conflict with another one right we never know if there's a baby oopsie daisy or whatever because we don't know if it's unique and that's what makes baby oopsie daisy oopsie daisy or if there are that's just the line of toy and that's why it's doing it it's the difference between child's play and child's play 2019 child's play 2019 buddy is programmed as a buddy so its personality is that versus the original child's play it's based on brad dorif does that make sense yeah so it's i don't know i think that, that would have been fun to explore yeah i'm playing uh, what is it water cooler quarterback at this point but my point is salient and i stand <laughs> by it and it's also funny too because they're like why is there a security guard guarding a bunch of toys that nobody knows anything about nobody wants it's <laughs> weird and like there's odd security measures like it's a, the whole facility is under complete lockdown the entire movie then what the fuck do i need fatty for right it's yeah, bizarre and it's, it's even more bizarre because they like they kind of mention it in the movie but then 
don't explain anything about it. Yeah, I thought that for sure that there was going to be like some kind of drug running operation or something like nefarious going on <laughs> there, you know, or something deliberate. We're like, oh, there's a criminal element to this organization, which is why we have the security guard. We're hiding. No, it's just a bunch of shitty toys and some guy watching Puppet Master and looking at porn. Yeah, because the demon that was buried there just happened to be buried. That's just the building he happened to be buried under. It had nothing to do with the actual toys being there. Correct. So the toys are just a, a coincidence that it's something for him to animate. But it kind of would have been neat if so the baby was buried, and this is this is delving way too much into like the setup of it. But if if there was like so he's waiting for his resurgence, but if the people that had sent him off to be buried had like a large amount of money or something, and they set this up to like wait, you know, like I like that, I yeah, like that a so lot. in some way to so wait kind like this building, like right? oh I don't know who owns this building I just run security like I get a paycheck yeah nobody ever comes here or does anything that's why I fucking order chicken and watch movies exactly like like I was saying like the, the architecture in Ghostbusters we're like oh this is not an apartment building this is a conduit to the other side right. something deliberate and methodical but I agree I think your idea of starting the movie with that scene with the miscarriage or stillbirth or whatever that's so much more interesting yeah because you know as you're watching it you're like okay these kids bury a baby in a field that they don't realize is a baby until they start burying it and <laughs> they then chuck it <laughs> it's that's such a weird concept and then they don't do anything really to like show a, a lapse of time and that's the same ground you figure it out with context but like give us the visual cue i think you're you've rewritten this movie way better than david s goyer <laughs> s stands for shitty Ooh. all right Special effects? Let's do it. So, Toy Soldiers, obviously. I mean... Does it really win if you get the name wrong? Booy Kasha. It's Small, small soldiers. soldiers. Toy Oopsie. Soldiers is a different movie, and Google kept thinking I was talking about that movie, and I was like, <laughs> no, I put in small for a reason, cockbag, and then I had to put... I am quotes Google. On. So, like Small I Soldiers... I said cockbag, which is basically just a condom, but it sounds so much more profane. <laughs> it does. It's so bad. I'm kind of regretting saying it. I might censor that out. So, the special effects for Small Soldiers... Obviously, just, there's no question. But like you said earlier, too, for what they worked with, yep, I think they did an okay job in Demonic Toys. Yeah, the credence I'll give it is like Small Soldiers was a moderate success that had every opportunity and everything going right. So it kind of becomes a failure when you have a dream team. You get your Jerry Goldsmith, you get your Stan Winston, you get your Joe Dante, and then it's just kind of eh. Versus like this dumb fucking movie that ends up being in like having multiple sequels, having right. a comic book run. There's yeah. Something to be said uh, about that. that. Absolutely true. What do you think about Jack Attack? Let's go through the toys on the other side. Jack Attack. Like them, love them, hate them. Robot? Jack Attack is the Jack in the Box. Oh, the Jack in the Box. He was okay. I liked the design of it. Yeah, I love the then, fact he's like a snake. But then he... It just lost me with his the laughing and close up of his teeth. It was kind of. I actually really like his laugh because it's so. The, the not the laugh. It was like one specific scene. I think maybe it was when he was dying. Oh, okay, I could see that. But that's more directing. Yeah. So, but I liked his like the look of it. Yeah. Like just just being as it is looks good. And the, I like the rattle and the, like I said the snake thing is cool. Kind of reminded me of Beetlejuice in that right. regard. Yeah. I think it was cool. I think he deserved a cooler death. Let's go to Grizzly Bear. What do you think of him? Good. I I wish I would have, when he was bigger, done a better job. Dude, that was such a missed opportunity. Yeah. And then especially at the end, when he was like banging on the window of the car and the guy, so Chicken Boy, I mean, we didn't do nicknames, nicknames. Oh, he's uh, Stephen Dork, if you go by Steven it, because he looks like the actor Stephen Dorf, but bad. 
<laughs> Anyways, Chicken Boy. So he gets in his car and he's like trying to start it and it's not starting. And this is like a 30 second scene. Yeah. Where the 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 bear is just ba- banging on the front window and he's like Excuse me. Yeah. And just very monotonous, like ryth- rhythmic and like not really hitting it. Yeah. And it, it reminded me like, of Dumb and Dumber. Get off the, f- the phone. Yeah, it was terrible. But I feel like they could have done I like the image of the small one. Like, I think it's a cool image. Yeah. And I've known that image before I saw I even saw the movie. Did you know that the big version had two heads? There was one which is hollow foam, and then there was one that actually had the articulation and the puppetry in it. Okay. And the hollow foam one was actually meant to be almost like a protective helmet for the stunt actor inside. And you like you go through all that work, and you just kind of waste it. Like yeah. that, he should have been a continuing threat the whole time. I thought, yeah, but whatever. So yeah, so that that one is okay. It's mixed. The smaller one is better than the bigger one. No, yeah. baby, oopsie daisy. Yeah, of the '90s, it makes perfect sense. Did not age well. Yeah, I mean, it's the, at the time, I'm like, oh, I could totally see why you would do that, but now it just doesn't work. Which then leaves us with Mr. Static, who I think was both of our favorite. Yeah, which is so <laughs> rad. <laughs> the lasers freaking laser beams and i love the fact that like i mean you've seen when i doodle sometimes i very rarely will draw like a pupil in something's eyes because i love making the viewer or whatever assign what's going on there mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with static his eyes and mouth are completely hollow so you're kind of assigning like where is he looking what is he doing is he menacing is he truly smiling i, I like to do that so i think that he works pretty well it's the less is more minimalism as opposed right. to like you know overdoing it and so all things being equal, it's pretty clear Small Soldiers wins, but I appreciate the ambition. I like the the diversity of the demonic toys. Oh, here's one. Special effects. The little kid demon. When he's changing, he changes into Mori Povich. He changes into the thing <laughs> that looks like the nemesis from Resident Evil. That's fun, right? Yeah. I mean, what year is this made? 92? 92, yeah. Yeah, so the effects were cheesy, but but the, the act of it... I thought it was good. Yeah, like, they're in on the joke. I mean, they know it's yeah. it's a horror comedy. It's yeah, it's, it's it could have been far worse. <laughs> yeah, I actually really liked the the shade of green they did with like the lightning magic or whatever for the demon. Yeah, and then it was you know the color of his eyes. Yeah, which were done with obviously contacts. That was done well, and then his nails were kind of greenish too. Yeah, and long. Yeah. It's fun because when I watched the interview with the kid, he's like playing with these like long prosthetic oh, nails, really? which is super fun. Yeah. When he's talking about he modeling his acting off of his brother, I was like, your brother has some janky nails, dude. <laughs> you need to call Guinness Book of World Records. So if we go to Small Soldiers, which is obviously the winner, but they talked about their special effects were one third puppets and two thirds CGI. So like you said, it stands up so good. Yeah. It reminds me of Eight-Legged Freaks where I was like, this is right in that same timetable. And you're like, holy shit, Like this is actually really good. Like This is a 20-year-old movie. Dude, how fucking old do you feel? It is a 20-year-old movie, and it looks decent. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things. Like, you look at like Toy Story. Toy Story looks good because they created an entire world where that is the animation style. And so here, you're putting animation into a real world. So what do you do? You cut corners, and you find an object that looks like this. Right, you, it already looks, you know, simple and rounded and small, and ha- you know, having these edges and stuff. So doing it that way is perfect. Dante has talked about uh, using sandwiches and puppets, and <laughs> he said that it ended up being cheaper just to use CGI, which is crazy. Yeah, for 1998, cheaper to use CGI. 
Yeah, there's actually a book, Small Soldiers Top Secret Dossier from the Files of Irwin Wayfair. I, Irwin Wayfair. It's published by Puffin Books. And in it, it's the character Wayfair's private journal. And he gives insight as to all the stuff that goes wrong with it, where the Gorgonites come from and all that. And I think it's really interesting in terms of adding to the lore of it. But honestly... If you had said they hopped out of a video game versus they were a toy, it really wouldn't bother me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like aesthetically, you know, it could have been cheaper to just do it that way. I don't think the story being a toy is that necessary. And then that's one of the things. Why do we see CGI and everything? Because it's so much cheaper. You don't have to worry about getting an establishing shot perfect and then doing this and then doing that. It's it's a lot of moving parts and it's a lot of man hours versus this. You're paying, you know, sweaty kids in the Philippines to break their fingers and get carpal tunnel syndrome rendering 3d objects yeah <laughs> music sound i think it's pretty clear that jerry goldsmith's gonna win yeah there's no real debate there in terms of like the sound design they did some kind of fun things with demonic toys of creating like the eerie atmosphere and everything it also just goes to a different genre of film you yeah. know like 90s synthesized horror soundtracks i mean every full moon film like has that same kind of tone but man, it was of its time. I and think then, it fits. Yeah. I mean, they could have done far worse. We talked about it last time on Gremlins, the like original scores and, and versus just regular music. But besides the music, I thought the sound mixing was pretty decent on demonic toys. Oh, yeah. Sound mixing, obviously, sound effects. You know, somebody opens a door. You don't actually record them opening a door. It's fully art. It's yeah. fully art. So, and I don't know how much of that they, they did. But I feel like for even a movie of that quality, they'd have to do a lot of it just to make things sound like a world and things are happening. And I thought it was something it's weird because it's not something I ever think about it. And I thought I was thinking about it like intentionally because we're comparing it. And and I'm like, wow, this is like this is decent. This is the sounds are good. That's one thing I, I get really critical of when it comes to fan films or small budget films. The sound really can sound super cheap versus visual i mean like you could shoot it on eight mil or nine millimeter film and i'm like that you couldn't make it look good but sound if it sounds cheap and bad and hollow and tinny it's not going to work and it doesn't sound like a cheap film and honestly the the demon's voice being queued up with that kid i like that voice i think that's really good it's kind of a complicated thing to do i mean how many times do you see adr where you're like god damn it it sounds and looks so bad for the the kid to be the best actor and the voice to be the second you know right just right up there without even seeing the person like those are the two best things about the movie for me oh yeah <laughs> i wholeheartedly agree the kid's facial expressions and whoever was doing the voice for him yeah, it's very much the Linda Blair effect where you're like, oh, this kid's great. And I don't care that they're not actually doing the voice. I like the whole package. So give them both an Academy Award and leave me alone. <laughs> but yeah, and then, you know, you compare it to Small Soldiers. They do a good job of you know making things you know sound big. And I love the homage to other war films. You get your patent and stuff. One thing I will say, I like the Gwendy doll sound effects and everything of like the mad scientist frankenstein kind of lab i feel like it could have used a little bit more of that in terms of like scuttling and menace okay yeah we had talked about uh, my favorite part of it chapter two is the old lady who's naked do it with, with my father births me from his ace hole when oh. <laughs> I'm the, I, every time i say that i want to go i'm the son of a shepherd i'm sorry i know i'd make the same references every time but when she's running towards jessica chestain or whatever her name is bryce dallas howard whoever she is when it's a dum 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 
the scuttling and the mischief isn't there in small soldiers it's a big criticism i have because you compare it to gremlins fuck dude the scuttling right the disembodied sound the screech oh. and, and within christy's room with the the lab set up it would have been perfect too to just draw it okay draw, don't draw it out more we don't want to draw it out more but there, there well, could cut have other been stuff more. cut draw other this stuff out. Yeah. yeah and draw it out and and make it more like blue lighting electricity oh, yeah. arcs and you're like what the fuck is going on and scuttling and and that would have been really cool yeah and it doesn't have i mean and doing that it's not more grotesque it's not more violent it's suspense and i yeah, think that's something that you in terms of like appropriateness for kids it'd still be just as appropriate for yeah, a kid to you see. build up some tension there you see a boy in his underpants in this movie yeah. you remember that his brad and his pants being set on fire <laughs> brad brad could have been cut in his entirety because yeah. he's not even that bad he's just a horny guy he, like the worst thing he does is say whatever to alan when alan says something fucking weird as a weird guy if somebody says whatever to me i'm like yeah i kind of deserve it i'm weird <laughs> right like uh, he's a character who's like if he's not going to be menacing there's really no point in having him yeah i mean it could have because the thing between christy and alan like fine you know, why why put in the the tension of her being taken for whatever reason and you, you just don't need it she could just be you're the girl next door like whatever and if brad is really a coward for running off wouldn't he like run to the cops and the cops come over sooner like by letting yeah. someone leave who is aware of the situation and you don't show him getting the boy who cried wolf scenario that christy gets it's like oh right what do you think about the boy who cried wolf in this movie where it's like oh you know yeah it's toys oh yes it is a crank call why don't you come and arrest me what do you think of that? I mean, it's inevitable in this kind of movie, but it's like, man, I kind of wish that you just did it without it. Yeah, it could have been done without it. Though, <laughs> when he first puts, uh, what's his name in the garbage disposal? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he gets his hand cut and his parents come home. I thought that was hilarious. His mom's like, are you on crank? Yeah, right. <laughs> and they're talking about, what is it? Hostile progression or whatever. Or, yeah, pro projection hostility something bullshit but you know what i mean yeah going back to like the sound element you're having it be drowned out with the loud music because they did this in grenada I'm like okay that that's cool I, I dig that but it doesn't take away the fact of like you have all of these whirring and hodgepodge machines that should have i think more articulated sound and more unique sound that was like my big criticism i think that the sound the sound effects I'd give to demonic toys, but the music, obviously, I'd give to small soldiers. That's fair. I, I like to think of myself as a fair and diplomatic individual. It happens sometimes. No, I'm actually very unreasonable most of the time. So, obviously, Jerry Goldsmith, we talked in Gremlins about originality of original scores and how movies can sometimes just plaster songs over whatever, whether they're popular songs or their current song, the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy effect. Yeah, which is a good example. Whoa! And, what it if, if, I'm sorry, you hear that song and it's not sung by Jackie Chan? I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> so I was going to say, th they did a good job of tying in both. Oh, so, yeah. So the, the original soundtrack for this is great. And then he he incorporates like traditional songs. like So when Johnny comes marching home. And then he also threw in like taps. Yeah. And so it, his the the music is just it, so it fits so good. And then you throw in you throw in War, you surrender by Cheap Trick, some Tom Sawyer by Rush, another one by Seduced by Queen, 
and like oh spice girls there's a good be. gag with that where she's like i love this song yeah god that's a fun gag i wish she was a little bit more inebriated as a straight edge guy who's seen a bunch of people be sloppy she wasn't sloppy enough <laughs> let's be real she had some drool she needed this bit out of her mouth right but it does they did a really good job of it we didn't talk about this love is a battlefield was playing pat benatar was my oh, first yes. concert dude so wasted yes god such a good song keep going it sh- they should have played that when they're like, it should have been the dirty work, you know, Street Fight G7. <laughs> and it's not Street Fight. It's Love is a Battlefield as you have Chip Hazard fighting Archer. That's the movie. That's oh, the absurdity man. that I needed. We're going to make our own cut. Hell yeah. Let's just get at a computer that can edit and handle it all. Oh, in the terms of homage music, did you notice that there was an homage to the Bride of Frankenstein in the music? No. They play the music for creation when they're doing the Gwendy dolls, which is the song oh, okay. from The Bride of Frankenstein 1935, which is awesome. I feel like there's a lot of references in here that I probably just didn't catch. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it is it's too kitschy. Like if you look at the titles of the songs, it's very overt, but they don't pick the right, right. part of the song. Like for mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin, they do communication breakdown. Nah, just, just do f- fucking immigrant song and be done with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, can we talk about this? Thor Ragnarok's use of the immigrant song is fucking perfect. I mean, yeah, but it's fucking Thor Ragnarok. So much of that was good. It's like a really, really perfect movie. And so when Taika Waititi was doing his like sizzle reel for that film, he included immigrant songs. It was so integral. That's why it's in all the marketing material. But, you know, this nothing about this movie is like, oh, it needed to be Led Zeppelin. It could have been any number of songs but the fact that the title was communication breakdown you're like okay so you want to get into originality let's do it originality the idea of yuppie scum capitalizing on original ideas it's gremlins 2 man like maybe that's the thing if if gremlins 2 didn't exist and this movie was shorter i could see this being a great spiritual successor to gremlins and i think i would have liked it a lot more but we know from the Gremlins episode that I like Gremlins 2 more. Yes. So dealing in that wheelhouse of, you know, clamp industries and it being the, making a sardonic kind of tongue in cheek approach to capitalism and materialistic values. And, you know, I'm a material girl living in a material world to do it again this way. It's like if I had like I very clearly if I hadn't seen two, this would be better. And I think that it's the in terms of originality. When, whenever you're dealing with heavy satire, you aren't being original, but you're are being original-ish. You know, demonic toys isn't directly parodying anything. It's not like oh, Jack in the Boxes are trendy. Let's have Jack Attack be a Jack in the Box to make a joke and a commentary on Jack in the Boxes. Right. So I feel like inherently in that capacity, you get your demonic toys winning because you have your aesthetic of you know the gorgonites being the he-man you have the aesthetic of the commando elite being gi joe the gwendy dolls being barbie the kid looking exactly like david duchovny to a point where it's fucking creepy but you know what i mean like so it that's referential humor so by its nature it can't be original but i guess it's the idea of putting those pieces together makes it original. Am I making sense? Yeah. I especially for small children, you, you have to look at the whole like each individual thing, but together did they make something original? I mean, still I mean Gorgonites. Okay. 
that's kind of original, but not really. Yeah, and you have to factor in this movie is six years after Demonic Toys. So by that point, you're talking about even more killer doll movies that come out. As, but then, all, so on the other hand, you have the Demonic Toys is all the ideas of of the demon and and giving birth and stuff like that, and the 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 guy's blood basically reanimating him because he was basically killed on a burial site. I mean, not most of that stuff's not exactly original, anyways. But when you throw it all together with it, the demon being reanimated but he's not strong enough to take a body yet so he has to use the toys as like his minions i think that's probably more original than small soldiers yeah and then i just forgive my momentary hesitation where i wasn't rambling and yelling at a high rate of speed and volume but there were 14 killer toy movies between demonic toys in 1992 and small soldiers in 1998 you had Curse, Death, and Spirit, Doll Man vs. Demonic Toys, Puppet Master 4 and 5, The Fear, Tales from the Hood, Patayin Sa Sindak Si Barbara, you know, your favorite movie of all time, Doll from Hell, Amityville Dollhouse, Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders, Pinocchio's Revenge, Trilogy of Terror 2, Quicksilver Highway, Curse of the Puppet Master, and then Small Soldiers. So, I mean, again, in just six years, you had that many extra killer toy movies. And I don't know that there's enough that really distinguishes this just because you're talking about commoditization. First is, like you're saying, you have the idea of trans-dimensional demonic witchery. Like, I think that's super fun. That's the, one of the things. Like, give Ghoulies a lot of credit. Like, sure, you can say it's a Gremlins ripoff, but as soon as you involve Satan, dude, like, I'm in hard. Like, I'm balls deep. As far as, as, far as originality for Demonic Toys 2, I thought the... I mean, who I made it was done before. I mean, who knows? But her baby's spirit working his way into the toy soldier. Crazy, right? That was good. We completely forgot that. Dude, that's a really fun part of it. Because so if, if you don't know what we're talking about, you just watch this because or listen to this episode because of small soldiers. It starts off with this dream where she's sitting there and these two kids are playing war with the cards and one they they keep getting to a stalemate war and they over and over again. And there's the the dark haired child who's the demon, and there's the blonde haired child. And so it ends up being the tin soldier blonde haired kid saves their life. And that's like the embodiment of the good child who's actually her baby. As I was like, man, that's fun. He was he was like, I'm your kid. Like I'm a spirit too. Yeah. So I I was able to take control of this tin soldier and help save you. Like that was I thought that was really good. I I'm surprised we forgot about that because that was probably one of the better parts of the movie and one of the better parts of the story, which I still think is just the order in which they told it is just weird just doesn't make sense for for it to be a whole bunch of nothing in the beginning and then to just all drop at the same time yeah and then just the idea also of having a pregnant protagonist is really cool like because you're like you know we talked about this when it came to the it stuff I don't care about old people. I don't like the guy, the douchey Stephen Dork is too old for me to care about as a kid. That girl who's in the vents, I don't care about. Right. She's poor. So why would I care about her? <laughs> so having this lady be pregnant gives you a reason to care about her separate and apart. You're like, okay, but we don't want the baby to die. We don't right. want this baby to get hurt. So the fact that she is an empowered woman who is also a vessel for a delicate creature who then becomes the savior, I'm going to give it the originality. Oh, hell yeah. Cool. 
Any other points you want to talk about? A good save on the Tin Soldier. I completely forgot about that, but I remember really like, and I love the framing of it is from her perspective looking down to show just how tiny it is. And it's one tiny toy that changes the entire course of everything. It's like, reminds you of those, like the little acts of kindness, right? Yeah. The little act of kindness of rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Slash's podcast can have great ramifications. Beautiful segue. There we go. Like butter. I want to do an, uh, a reverse originality. Okay, just because it's it's kind of cool. So are you okay? So it's this is still points for small soldiers, or is this negative points because it is too derivative? No, that's the whole I, point. It's like it, it's not. I don't think it, it it contributes to anything. I mean, it's homage. It's homage. Okay. Yeah. So Chip Hazard has this this speech that he gives to his soldiers, and it's basically just a bunch of sayings from quotes throughout history. And it's it's just so funny because sometimes it's, it's nonsensical and it doesn't it doesn't make sense, but just in the when he's saying it, it just evokes like all these different things about military and country and, and all these things. Well, and what he's saying, he's saying them earnestly and he's saying like truly quoted things, but when you put them together, it becomes absurd. Right. Yeah. But it makes sense for because he's a, a toy and he, you know he's but he's a commander, so anything he knows is going to be derivative because he's he is programmed into him at this point but so he says soldiers no poor no poor sap ever won a war by dying for his country he won it by being all that he can be well he could be his army right yep and he says damn the torpedoes which is a civil war quote that a battle in a bay between ironclad fleets where a southern general got caught and they were pinned between uh, the other fleet and like a, a land base and they were being fired upon. And the only way that they had was through a narrow strait. When he says torpedoes, they mean land uh, mines in the water. Okay. Not actual torpedoes. And so he says, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. And they just go straight through Oh, it. so they talk about balls out. Like, let's do this. Yeah. He's damn, like, it's the only. It's the only thing we could do. Damn the torpedoes. So he's so, not, not. Wow. So I like that. he says, "Damn the torpedoes, or give me death." So <laughs> give, me give me liberty, give liberty, or give me death. Is Patrick Henry? So his second Virginia Convention in the 1775. He says, "Eternal vigilance is the price of duty," which was a quote from James Jackson, who is the first member of the first Continental Congress and was in the U.S. Senate in the 1790s. And then, and to the victors go the spoils, which is an old idiom. So remember, you are the best of the best, and the and you are the best of the best of the few and the proud, which is a take on the Marines. Which is two of them, yeah. Which reminds me of Men in Black. Yeah, the best Men of the Black. best of the best, sir. So ask not what your country can do for you, Jack Kennedy, baby. Kennedy, only regret that you have but one life to live. You know who that is? I know the quote. The, so what, the, what is the, the greatest sin is to have only one life to give for your country. Yeah, I only, I only regret that yeah. I have but one life to lose for my country. So it was the last words of Nathan Hale, who was a spy, who was, that was hung by the British. Okay, so yeah, so that was that was his speech. And he talks about the war against the Gorgonites. Which is so cheeky in the sense of like an Edgar Wright kind of a thing almost, where you know they're, they're plotting the movie. Like you're adding all of these references and it's, Nothing is original because he is not thinking. He is a recitation. He's following orders. He's following routine. Whereas the Gorgonites are developing and creating and learning and they're progressing as characters. 
which is that's one of the things that kind of makes it the flawed story structure of them just like hiding again uh, right. versus like when they boldly go. What I would have loved is Goodwill Hunting when Ben Affleck's like, hey, you know what my dream is? I come to your door. You're not fucking here. You don't even say goodbye. You're fucking gone. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So basically the Gorgonite's like, peace the fuck out, Alan. And then he just checks his mail one day and he gets a postcard from fucking Gorgon. And he's like, what the fuck? Gorgon's not even real. How do you know how to use postage? Oh, because you learned on Encarta 97, dog? That's my point. I I feel like that would have articulated the point better. But I get why they did it. Can we talk about how cute it is that he takes the toy boat? I yeah. love the toy boat. Reminds me of the 13th Warrior. They're going to go fight some bear men <laughs> in their little fancy boat. But yeah, I, so in terms of you, it's not fair to compare, in my opinion, because oh, yeah. one is satire and one is straight delivery. But even that being said, I think it would go to demonic toys because I think it just are, it is a different idea more so than just like, hey, wouldn't it be weird if toys kind of killed people, but they weren't totally evil, so we'd still be PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. But it, like we talked a lot about too, the where demonic toys comes from in terms of who's making it and how much whatever they spent on it, which is peanuts. Yeah, compared to forty million dollars. In nine in the late nineties too, which is probably like fifty five million or something now. Not to correct you, but it would be sixty two million seven hundred thirteen thousand three hundred eight dollars fourteen cents. Hey, good chunk of change. Yeah, and if you were to buy the exact same products in two thousand eighteen as nineteen ninety nine, they would cost you forty million and. $25,588,259.61 respectively. What the fuck does that mean? Hey, West Egg, calm down with your inflation calculator. You're complicating things. <laughs> Keep going. I cut you off. Sorry. So for Demonic Toys to do what it did, mostly in the, the idea story overall section, makes it pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It's not great, but it's good. So I think in terms of this combat the versus mode or whatever we're going to call this this was a test run i, I think we're going to do more of these in the future and i i have some fun ideas planned out who who wins this initial versus mode overall flaws and all which movie do you think is better small soldiers yeah i, <laughs> I, I agree I mean, it's just just because it's just polished and I think the only reason we picked Demonic Toys over something like a Puppet Master or something like that was because the original comment that I had that spurred this episode idea was on a whim. But I think that if we had done something like Puppet Master, I think you have a much greater argument of it being more of a stalemate. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's David versus Goliath, and this time David just doesn't have a rock. Right. But I, I agree. So this initial one goes to the PG-13. Now, I have a propose a proposal. If you like the idea of a versus mode, maybe a little bit more structure on the next one, I have proposed we would do Friday the 13th Part 1 versus Sleepaway Camp. Which is the better movie and why? I think that there's arguments to be made. I don't know that they're necessarily convincing, but I like the juxtaposition of those two films. So let us know what you think. Send us messages at slasherspod at gmail.com. We are on virtually every social media application at slasherspod, or if you're on YouTube, it's youtube.com backslash c backslash slashers podcast long form i'd give you my personal cell phone number but i'm afraid of how many dicks i would get in my inbox at once 
Jim, anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah. We have shirts that are available, $20, plus the cost of shipping, which I calculate for each and every individual. So far, I've been very lucky, and every person who's asked about the shipping has actually purchased the shirt. So I have not just done mass amounts of research for nothing. So that's very cool. They're going quick, too. So Yeah. We're actually over 50% of our stock is gone. Uh, we have buttons and stickers we've been giving out with each of those, and I've been doing a personalized thank you note to each and every person, so get those while they're hot. And also, by buying these shirts, you're financing us developing our next run of shirts, because rather than reimburse ourselves for the mass amounts of money and time we spent on the show, all of the money that we have gotten is going into more fun stuff for everybody else. So our next ambitious idea is going to be a budget shirt, which is going to be only a one color as opposed to the full color version that we have now. That way, everybody can enjoy a slashers podcast shirt so with that jim do you want to say goodbye to these slut bags beep beep fuck boys and for my friend jim for my friends brian and chad who are not my best friends because they didn't bring me coffee my name is jake reminding you to go out there and do something you love and remember that all work and no power play makes jack a dull boy I interrupted a hockey game wherein my team was actually winning to record this, to cue in the hidden track for this week. I'm not saying I'm put out, but it's crazy to see the New Jersey Devils win a game. All three of the teams I follow most closely are having like the worst seasons ever. So you can tell that there's something special about the Venomous Pinks at Venomous Pinks on virtually all social media. They're playing the Soda Bar January 11th in San Diego, California, and the Yucca Tap Room on January 25th, also a Saturday, in Tempe, Arizona. No, we're not talking about Tempe, the soy meat alternative. We're talking about a town where people live, human beings with ideals and feelings, you insensitive people. Anyway, this song is called Nightmare. I am very fond of it, and I hope you are too. You can find Venomous Pinks, like I said, virtually everywhere. They have music videos available on YouTube, and, and you can check out their EP, We Do It Better, which is where Nightmare comes from. Please enjoy this record. Please enjoy the content. Uh, please let them know where you found them. And also, if you want to get tattoos of the very sexy vampire biting lips referential stuff to the Rolling Stones, except I don't have to think about Mick Jagger's scrotal-looking face, uh, you can do that too. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.